Good evening, ladies and gentlemen. Welcome to Captain's Log, the show devoted to discussions and insights into pop culture with an emphasis on cinema in the occasional themed episodes. This is your captain speaking, Jose Valle, and it's time for us to begin our transmission. Start at 09-16-2019. Welcome back, everybody, to another episode of Captain's Log. As always, I am your host, Jose Valle, and today we are going to be discussing one of Wes Anderson's masterpieces, Fantastic Mr. Fox. But before we jump into all that, let's have a little powwow, shall we? First things first, I'd just like to wish a happy Independence Day to all our Mexican listeners. Um... Para toda la, la raza mexicana que escucha este programa, les quiero decir feliz día de la independencia ahora, 16 de septiembre. Que viva la raza y que viva México. Uh, yeah, I'm, I'm super proud of a Mexican heritage. Uh, it's actually Hispanic Heritage Month. Um, so I feel like now more than ever I should be showcasing it and not be afraid to be outspoken about it. Um, I love my Mexican heritage. I love my Mexican culture. I wouldn't trade it for the world. Um and today, on this very special special day to us Mexicans, uh, I'm feeling it more than ever. Um, I remember, you know, when I was back in Mexico, the celebrations and the parades and the fireworks. And just, it's one of the most beautiful things to see Mexican Independence Day celebrated because the Mexican people just take so much joy and pride in it that it's, it's, it's insane and it's crazy and it's amazing. I mean, not unlike, uh, you know, the... Uh, American Independence Day, but it's, yeah, it's it's a great holiday. And, um, yeah, to all our Mexican listeners, Feliz Día de la Independencia, que se diviertan ahora, y que nunca se olviden que son parte de la mejor gente del mundo, los mexicanos. Viva México, cabrones. All right, with that out of the way, uh, since we last spoke, um, I guess one major thing has happened, and that is that I have finished a first cut or a, a rough cut of my short film, The Shadows. Uh, it's kind of a big thing for me because um, after we wrapped shooting in late August, uh, it's just sort of been in this post-production hell where I would work on it one day and then go weeks without looking at it because I just didn't feel the the passion or the drive to you know sit down and just put a coherent story together. But I finally got this sort of rush of creativity in the last weeks, and I just banged out a rough cut in about a week. Um, and uh, actually, one of the days that I was working to it, I ran into Antonio Neves, who I don't know if I've spoken about before on the show, but he's this you know amazing guy that I've had the opportunity to to know and work with. He um, he worked in the TV industry for about 15 years. He was on Nickelodeon on a show called You Pick Live. He was the host of that. And, he retired from from that and has been a uh, motivational speaker that travels the country and the world, uh, helping people uh, sort of realize their full potential. And uh, our university, William Penn University, is constantly bringing him out here to, to speak with the sports teams and the students and whatnot. So I ran into him at our coffee shop when I was on a break from, from work. And I was working on it. And I hadn't seen him in about a year or so. And, uh, I, you know, I'd, I'd done some video work for him in the past. Um, 
and uh, I bumped into him and he was like, what are you working on? I showed it to him and, you know, he said it looked very good and at least the visuals did, uh, which I think the visuals are going to be great. It's the audio that I'm worried about because I'm not the best audio editor uh, for my short films. There's always that sort of disconnect and I still can't figure out how to get the flow uh, in between scenes to work. In the future, I do hope to hire um, an, an editor to sort of do my short films. I love editing, I do, but um, I just feel like somebody could be doing a better job at it, and I'd really want these, you know, my projects to be the best that they can be. Um, so I don't know, maybe it's something that I'll consider in the in the future. Um, but uh, yeah, now the short film has been sent to someone who's potentially going to make the music for it, and uh, from there. Just a couple of pickup scenes need to be shot and added to create a final polished cut, um, which is sort of the next update is uh, I'll be visiting Utah for about a week in October, uh, which is where we filmed the short film in Utah and where I'll be filming the extra scenes that need to be picked up. Uh, I'm going to visit because uh, my uncle, who I think I'd spoke about in the last uh, two episodes or last episode, uh, he's been in the U.S. Uh, for the past six months on a work visa. He got the opportunity to come over on a work visa. This is this is um, a big deal because I haven't seen him in uh, 13 years since I left Mexico. Uh, and so he got done a, a lot sooner than he expected. And so he's been in uh, back home in Utah with my family. And uh, the, the plan was he was originally working in Kentucky, and Kentucky's not too far from Iowa. So I was going to drive down a weekend and, and see him because I want to have the opportunity to see him before he leaves. But with him being in Utah now, that kind of changes everything so I've just decided that I'm not going to miss the opportunity to see my uncle, who I haven't seen in 13 years. Uh, so I'm flying home for about a week uh, in Utah to, uh, uh, to yeah, to see him and 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 uh, just catch up and spend some time with him before he leaves. And and then it'll be right around the time uh, my little brother will be having uh, his birthday. So I don't know if I'll be there for his birthday, but I'll be there a, little, a couple of days before. But anyway, so. Uh, there may or may not be an episode during the first week of October. Uh, I'm still not sure. Uh, I want there to be one because October is like my favorite time of the year. Uh, and I have some very fun and spooky episodes planned. So I may just try to find time within the the weeks before that and just pre-record the, uh, the episode so I can have it and just upload it while I'm on the move. Um, but we'll see. We'll see. I'll keep you guys updated on that. But uh you know, enough of my rambling. Let's let's get on with the show uh, with our first segment. Did you see the news? Did you see the news that following the financial success of his last three movies, M. Night Shyamalan has two more thrillers in the works at Universal, with the untitled thr- thriller set to be released on February 26, 2021, and February 17, 2023. Shyamalan independently financed his last three movies, The Visit, Split, and Glass, and is expected to do the same with these two new thrillers. He apparently financed the last three movies with a combined budget of $35 million, and they earned a total of $625 million combined. Universal Pictures president Peter Kramer had this to say in a statement, and Night Shyamalan continues to create exciting, highly original stories that keep global audiences on the edge of their seats. There's no one like him. He's a master filmmaker working at the height of his powers, and we are honored that he has once again chosen Universal to be the home for his next two incredible projects. 
Shyamalan also commented on the subject, saying, There are wonderful studios out there, but Universal has made it a mandate to release original films. They are the best at finding an audience for new stories with unexpected tones. I believe original films are crucial to the longevity of the theatrical experience. I am so excited to be working with them again and bringing new stories to the movie screen for years to come. I don't know. I, uh, I'm i not the biggest M. Night Shyamalan fan. Um, and I feel like that's kind of a bandwagon thing to say now. But no, I really don't think he's... I don't think his last couple of movies have really delivered on the sort of talent that he might have portrayed at the beginning of his career. And I feel like anything at this point has just been people saying, oh, well, you know, he did he did Unbreakable and he did do uh, The Sixth Sense, which was amazing. So, yeah, he's this amazing filmmaker, even though he really hasn't delivered anything on that, on that caliber since. I mean, class, I don't have to see the film to know that it wasn't a good film. I mean, I've seen video essays on it. I've seen breakdowns i've read reviews and i've read the synopsis and nothing about it made me want to see it and i liked split i thought split was fine um but i don't know i think you know whatever i'm all for filmmakers uh making original films yes i agree with him on that and i'm all for you know minorities people of color in this field but 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 for the president of universal to say he's this great amazing filmmaker there's no one like him okay all right, as if Edgar Wright, Damon Chazelle, yeah, James Gunn, Taika Waititi, as if these guys don't exist. Okay, yeah, M. Night Shyamalan, yeah, he's the best there is right now. Sure, yeah, okay, whatever. M. Night is great. M. Night is great. Have I ever got the chance to meet him? I, yeah, sure. I wouldn't say this to his face, but I'm just saying, let's hold, let's dial it back there, Peter. Uh, did you see the news that Rick Ocasek, or Rick Ocasek, singer of the band Cars and producer for Weezer, has died at 75. The cause of death was heart disease, according to the New York City Medical Examiner's Office. Starting with a Cars' self-titled debut in 1978, Okasik established himself as a stoic frontman with a sense of humor and melodrama on songs like My Best Friend's Girl, You're All I've Got Tonight, and Good Times Roll. As a member of the Cars, he wrote nearly every tune the band recorded. Okasik helped kickstart the new wave movement by pinning his disaffected vocals against herky-jerky rhythm guitar, dense keyboards, and dance-floor-ready dance beats. And as one of the group's lead vocalists alongside bassist Benjamin Orr, he sang the hits Shake It Up and You Might Think. After the group broke up in 1988, Okasik recorded as a solo artist and worked as a producer, helping to sculpt blockbuster hits like Weezer's Blue and Green albums and cold favorites like Bad Brains Rock for Light. I'm a big fan of the Cars, and this is just, I don't know, this really sucks. Uh, you might think it's like one of my favorite songs ever. It's always, always a song that blasts on my road trips. And uh, I've always preferred it to the Weezer version. I know people are like, ah, oh, but the Weezer version, uh, Weezer version is good. But uh, I thought the Cars was always my favorite. And uh, it is kind of sad when, when sort of these rock legends and these icons pass on. But as I, you know, talked about in my uh, fifth episode, uh, Rock Never Dies, you know, so long as we rem- as we still enjoy their hits and and uh, the idea of what they were trying to push is still around, then yeah, I mean these these guys like Okasik will will live on as icons and as legends. And my heart goes out to uh, his family and uh, his bandmates. And uh, it's a it's a sad day for Rock, um, but uh, all we can do from this point forward is to continue to um, enjoy his legacy left behind. 
Did you see the news that Tony Stark could return to the MCU, but it would be prior to the events of Endgame in the upcoming Black Widow solo movie? Over the weekend, Deadline mentioned that Robert Downey Jr. would be back in an unrelated post about the Saturn Awards. At the time, it seemed like a huge spoiler, or perhaps a typo. If the rumors hold true, though, there is a chance we could see him return via what some are speculating would be the usage of old recycled footage from Captain America Civil War, in which he tells Natasha to run. This would make sense, um, as lately the MCU has been filling the gaps in between movies as we saw with Captain Marvel. And Marvel also revealed that Black Widow will be taking place between Civil War and Infinity War. So it is possible that we see him again. I wouldn't mind this. I think the Weekly Planet is one of the, the podcasts that come to mind that have talked about this and speculated that even though we saw the last of the character in Endgame chronologically, he might still be showing up in other movies as in little cameo scenes or whatever. Um, and I, you know what? It's great. I, I love Robert Jr. Jr. I'd love to see him come back. Um, and But uh, that's all the news we have. Unfortunately, it wasn't a huge uh, news-filled week. Uh, so let's just jump right into check this out. Today we have a couple of mixed but good recommendations. Starting at the top of the list, check this out, Let Her Dance by the Bobby Fuller 4. Let Her Dance is actually a song that's featured in tonight's topic, uh, Fantastic Mr. Fox. I think that's where I first heard it. Uh, it's a beautiful, it's, it's a, love, a lovely song. It's, one, it's an old-timey kind of... Um, Swing, uh, not really necessarily swing, but sort of a uh, feel-good folk. Um, it's uh, sort of the tale of uh, a guy. It's sort of this guy just being like, you know what? Like, yeah, this girl left me or whatever. She broke my heart, but whatever. You know, let her enjoy her time. You know, just like she did with me. Uh, I'll be dancing with someone else in time, and and um, we'll see how she feels or whatever. Or isn't it funny that she's dancing with this guy to, to my favorite song? But it's whatever. You know, just let her dance. I'm not bitter about it let her move on i'm gonna move on too uh but it's great it's uh i love the beat i love the lyrics of it it's just such a good song i always blast and i talked about how i'm gonna be recommending songs that sort of add to this autumn element this autumn feeling and this is definitely one of those songs i always blast this during the fall because uh, I absolutely love it. Uh, next up is Supersonic Rocket Ship by The Kinks, which you might have heard of uh, uh, in uh, Avengers Endgame. It plays when uh, Thor, uh, it plays when Hulk and Rocket go uh, recruit Thor. Uh, it's a fun, fun song. I love The Kinks. The Kinks are one of my favorite bands. They've they've got a ton of phenomenal songs. Uh, one of my favorites from them is possibly one of my favorite songs is uh, Victoria. Uh, but uh, Supersonic Rocket Ship is just a lot of fun. It's a sort of little kind of a campy kind of um, out there kind of tune with you know these great vocals and the this great uh, backing of guitars and at one point trumpets and horns and it's just phenomenal it's it's, it's a really fun good good uh, song and I, I love listen I listen to this song like every morning before I go to classes and it's great I love this song uh, next up I have a recommendation this one's a little controversial but it's a book uh, that you all might have heard of called 13 Reasons Why. Uh, now, I'm not here to talk about the show. Uh, I think the show has straight a I mean, the show has definitely straight a lot from the book. The book uh, covered about the first season, and from there it's been all the show writers. And I thought the first three season of the show was fine. But the book is just this really phenomenal piece of literature. I love this book. It's one of my favorite books. And I think people who are critical of 
of the story and of, of this topic should really read this book. It's a story about a teen, Hannah Baker, who commits suicide and she sends out these tapes to people who contributed to it in some way as her sort of suicide letter or her last goodbye kind of thing. Um, and it's it's all we're, we are experiencing and in in, through the book we're experiencing the story through the uh, eyes and mind of Clay Jensen as he goes on this voyage of listening to the tapes before he finally reaches his own tape. Um, I won't give too much of it away because it is really a beautiful book. You have to read it for yourself. But I really like it because it's brilliant writing. Uh, and I really like that the difference from this and the show is that we get to see, we get to read Clay's thoughts and really understand how he's he's com- he's sort of dealing with the situation and and it's a great it's a great conversation starter for this issue that is plaguing you know I think various nations but the United States especially and I've seen it in my community and I've lost people to suicide but I think it's a good conversation starter. Uh, to the suicide uh, conversation and I think it's something a topic that needs to be discussed and as uncomfortable as it makes us and I'm sure it's making some people uncomfortable uh, it it definitely needs to be out there needs to be spoken about and this book does a really good job of sort of some would say it's a glorification I I would highly disagree but I think this book gives a good insight into the mind of someone who is suicidal and the feelings that are involved in it and how it affects the people around them and how one of my favorite quotes from this book is everything affects everything and that's sort of what this whole story is is that we have to be cautious of our actions and we have to be weary of how we treat others because what what may seem like stupid little funny thing funny uh insult to us could be detrimental and uh sort of incredibly impactful on another person's life and so i think we have to be very cautious of that i think this book is a great cautionary tale for that and it's a great just a well-written beautiful book i really recommend you read this um if you're sort of sensitive on the top on the topic uh you know i would say take your time with it take it slow maybe don't read this but i think it's really good and i definitely recommend it to everyone i want to be i want to start recommending more things to read uh, other than uh, i want to recommend more than just songs and and shows and and movies. So I'm going to be branching out, and this is the beginning of that. Next up is a documentary uh, that I just watched a little while ago. I think you can find it on Amazon Prime. Uh, That's where I watched it. It might be the only place you can find it, but it's called uh, Star Wars Empire of Dreams. It's a really beautiful, beautiful documentary. If you love documentaries, you should check this out. If you love Star Wars and you love filmmaking, then you should definitely, definitely check this out. This documentary is sort of about everything that went into making the first original Star Wars film. So A New Hope, uh, Empire Strikes Back, and Return of the Jedi. And it just sort of deals with George Lucas's journey as a filmmaker uh, and um, the journey of this, this saga and how hard it was to get it off the ground and all the work that went in behind the scenes, the, the story, you know, sort of the journey that, that the cast had all together and the sort of huge cultural impact that Star Wars had on the U.S. and why it was important that Star Wars came out at the time it came out and why its impact was important and whatnot. And it's just beautiful. It took me back to my childhood. I love Star Wars. I'm a huge Star Wars fan, and it took me back. And also for me as an aspiring filmmaker to just see sort of the behind the scenes and what goes into the filmmaking process and see how George got his start and how he struggled and how... uh, 
he came to sort of take on this big accomplishment and how throughout throughout it all he was dead son dead set on making his vision come to life instead of a studio's vision and how independence as a filmmaker was crucial to him i just loved it it was really good i really recommend it another sort of documentary film uh, that i recommend is a comedy by the name of what we do in the shadows it's a taika watiti film and it's 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 so funny i just watched it the other night it's hilarious i love this movie uh it's the story of three vampires living in new zealand uh and this new zealand documentary crew gets to go in and uh follow them around and 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 learn about their lives or whatever. Taika Waititi is one of the vampires. Um, Jermaine Clements is one of the other vampires, and I can't remember the other guy's name, but it's really, really good. Um, I don't want to give too much away uh, about it because you should definitely check this out. Um, it's so hilarious. Uh, if you like Thor Ragnarok, uh, if you like uh, Waititi's other work, and you should definitely check this out. But if you're more of a casual fan and you like Thor Ragnarok, I really think you'll like this because it's sort of that same feeling and it's by the guy who directed it and, and shaped and re-envisioned re Thor. So I think, yeah, definitely check this out. Uh, and that's the last of our recommendations. Let's jump into our topic. After 12 years of bucolic bliss, Mr. Fox, George Clooney, breaks a promise to his wife, Meryl Streep, and raids the farms of their human neighbors, Bogus, Bunce, and Bean. Giving in to his animal instincts endangers not only his marriage, but also the lives of his family and their animal friends. When the farmers force Mr. Fox and company deep underground, he has to resort to his natural craftiness to rise above the opposition. Uh, Fantastic Mr. Fox is a beautiful uh, 2009 film uh, that was directed by Wes Anderson, and um, it's based on the book by of the same name by Roald Dahl. And uh, yeah, it's just great. Um, I watched this film uh, when I was super young and it's always been a favorite of mine. Um, it's kind of really what got me into Wes Anderson at first. I also love his other work, Isle of Dogs. is beautiful and amazing. Uh, and you can kind of see how this helped shape Isle of Dogs, I think, in a certain way. But um, let's just jump into the analysis because I've got a lot to talk about on this one. Uh, yeah, let's get into it. I really love the text at the beginning of the film. It's this text that, that just sort of reiterates the bogus Bunsen beam, one fat, one short, one lean, these horrible crooks so different in looks were nonetheless equally mean. Um, and it just sort of wants us to understand that bogus Bunsen bean are definitely the bad guys in the story. And it already sort of starts to put things into motion to help us understand that these are not well-liked people. I love the indie tune at the beginning of the, of the film. Sort of establishes a feel of the film to follow, uh, and it goes brilliant with just sort of the look that he's uh, that Anderson is 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 pushing here. I absolutely loved this book as a kid. It was one of my favorite Roald Dahl books, uh, aside from no, this was my favorite Roald Dahl book because I liked uh, Charlie and the Chocolate Factory, but Fantastic Mr. Fox was the one that stood out to me. Um, I think it's just a great story. Obviously, this this film deviates a lot from the book, uh, but I don't mind it. I don't mind it. Uh, the hands holding up the book at the beginning is a nice touch. I really like that, how it's like, it's sort of telling you this, this is based on a, on a uh, literary piece and it's, it's, a, it's a literary story. I think the color palette in this film is just absolutely beautiful. Let me say this right now. I think Mr. Fantastic Mr. Fox is absolutely a fall movie. You can watch this movie any time of the, day, any time of the year, but you will feel its impact even more during the fall. And I think that has to do with the color palette because it just feels like it's fall all the time in this. 
George Clooney was perfectly cast as Mr. Fox. I think that's one of the greatest castings ever. He sort of embodies the charisma and the charm and the wit and the arrogance just perfectly. Uh, I love his trademark, his whistle and click thing, his... What do you mean? That's my trademark. I love that. Love that. I used to do that so much as a kid after I watched this movie. Um, I really like that he gives... Fox will give people options, even though he clearly already knows what he wants to pursue. So, for instance, at the beginning, he tells his wife, well, we could take this path or that path. And she's like, well, let's take this path. He's like, oh, but this other path is so much whatever or whatever. And it just sort of showcases his ego and his arrogance. He gives people the option, but he already knows which, what he wants to do. I really love the visual gags in this. And one of my favorites is the one at the beginning when he tells his wife, you look so beautiful. You're pra practically glowing. Uh, and then, you know, camera cuts back and she's actually glowing. And he's like, maybe it's the, the line or something. It's just so, <laughs> it's so good. It's so good. Uh, the song selection of this movie is also so good. It's a lot of indie music, indie folk music, which just just fits perfectly with the sort of feeling uh, and uh, look that the film is going for. I really like the the sort of details that uh, Anderson includes in this to to remind us that while they are humanoid in a way, they're still animals. And one of those touches is the way that they eat. You know, they'll have a, a plate of pancakes or waffles set in front of them with a fork and knife, but they maul it like a like an animal would. Um, it's a nice touch. I really appreciate that. The visual gags, like I said, are quite great. Kylie's eyes, for example, when uh, he's in a possum and when he tunes to, to he tends to like tune out, and his eyes kind of go this vertigo, vertigo or like swirly uh, uh, pattern, uh, and it's really great. And and I really like how he how Wes Anderson lingers on on these visual gags, not because he wants us to really to make sure we really get it, but I think it's because. The pacing of it really helps them land. Um, Wes Anderson is a genius when it comes to visual storytelling. The way he cuts and frames everything is superb, to quote Mr. Fox. Uh, the description scene of the three farmers really highlights this when, he, when they're being described and, you know, the the, the patterns that they follow, how they live their lives or whatever. And it's just these vis just beautiful visuals. Uh, I love it. The you cussing with me scene is very good. I like the substitution of swears uh, with the word cuss. And going along with that, Bill Murray is, is pretty pretty damn great as Badger. I, I remember as a kid, I, I didn't really know that much about the movie world. But even when I saw that, I was like, I know this guy. Who is this guy? He's really good. And then as time went on, I was like, oh, my God, that's Bill Murray. Like that's He's perfectly cast in this as well. Uh, the scene with the squirrels. Facing up the tree is probably one of my favorite scenes in this film because it's just so aesthetically pleasing and it's just so elegantly pulled off the pacing the way that the one squirrel's like, hey, do this, do that. Hey, what are you doing that? What are you there? Superman, just carry it this way. Come on, I want that paint there, blah, blah, blah. And it's just the cuts are so, so good. Uh, the Who Am I scene is both hilarious and so well written. Who am I, Kylie? Who, how? What now? Why a fox? Why not a, a horse or a beetle or a bald eagle? I'm saying this more as like existentialism, you know? Who am I? And how can a fox ever be happy without a, uh, you'll forgive the expression, a chicken in its teeth? I don't know what you're talking about, but it sounds illegal. Here, put this bandit hat on. 
Maybe you're a medium. Take it off for a minute. Don't wait around the house. And it's just like the, the, the it, it's something that is repeated over and over in this film. But the sort of pacing of this dialogue is great because it'll be big and profound. And then, you know, it's cut with a, with, a, with a gag, with a joke. And I love it. There's some great, fantastic writing in this film. This is just one of the examples. Uh, Wes Anderson is has this knack uh, and talent for long shots. It, it, I think it's really showcased the most in... Um, Isle of Dogs, uh, but they're these sort of long shots without dialogue, which are quite good and help nail the emotion he wants to get across. The long shot of Christopherson and Ash playing with a train is just really sort of nails this idea, and it's super poignant and beautiful. The planning scene is superb. I love that scene. It's 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 really really good when he's because he's trying to be serious, but Kylie keeps interjecting, and he has to like stop himself and explain, and then he's like, no 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 like. I'm just trying to get on topic or whatever. It's really, it's really hilarious. Word about beagles: never look a beagle directly in the eye. And if why not? Beagles aren't so tough. Yeah. Well, first of all, one of these beagles has chronic rabies, which he's on medication for. And if you get bit by him, you have to get shots in your stomach for six months. And second, it, listen, I'm not going to justify this to you. Just pay attention and stop interrupting me. I'm taping this. Jason Schwartzman is great as Ash. He sort of brings this, this little stubbornness and angriness to the character that I really, really enjoyed. And because of that, I think that Ash is actually a great character. He might seem annoying at first or whatever, but he's really sort of this misunderstood kid who's just trying to find his identity, and it's it's great. I love the bit how they go through their master plan or whatever, and then when they get to the end, they don't know how to leave. And Kylie's like, well, what's the master escape plan? And just you kind of just see on Fox's face that he always likes to think he's one step ahead, but he totally forgot this step. Uh, and then they just have to and they end up climbing over the electrical fence, but it's great. Uh, the whack bat scene is also very funny because it's supposed to be this real simple sport, right? And that's how it's being presented to us by Owen Wilson's character. But it's purposefully super convoluted. And I think it's the little, little stuff like this, these, these little comedic things that Anderson does that make him such a great writer. Like, for instance, the can you give me a signal exchange where uh, Fox is telling Kylie something and then he's like, okay, from now on I'm going to need you to give me a signal when you're listening or not. And Kylie just kind of does a little hand thing. And he's like, is that, is that it? Okay, okay, perfect. The score for this is very, very great. Uh, again, it just kind of goes with that sort of indie folk kind of uh, feeling that they're going with the whole film. Willem Dafoe as Rat is just great casting. I love Willem Dafoe and anything. I'm actually super excited to see uh, The Lighthouse. My buddy Mason, Mason Schrader, friend of the podcast, who he's been on here before, he keeps talking about this film, and the more he shows it to me, the more I'm wanting to see it. And so as I watched this and I remembered Willem Dafoe was a rat, I was like, oh, great. He's f- fucking perfect as rat. Uh, along with it, Meryl Streep is really good in this too. I mean, yeah, Meryl Streep, Streep is great in everything she's in. But uh, I didn't even know it was her until recently because she, I feel like she's so toned down in this and she's just really, she feels like a real character, if that makes sense, even though she's playing a fox. But she really brings a sort of raw emotion to the role. Uh, I think it's, you can really tell in the scenes between her and Clooney when, um, for instance, the... Twelve fox years ago, you made a promise to me while we were caged inside that fox trap, that if we survived, you would never steal another chicken, turkey, goose, duck, or squab, whatever they are. And I believed you. Why? Why did you lie to me? Because I'm a wild animal. It's just great fucking writing. It really just shows how Anderson took a children's book 
and turned it into something much more deeper than that. And it's brilliant. It's it's just phenomenal. I love the uh, I just want to see a little sunshine uh, quote uh, when they're, they run into the other animals and, uh, underground when once they've been driven underground by the farmers. And Mole is there, and uh, he goes, I just want to see a little sunshine. And Fox is like, Mole, you're nocturnal. Your eyes barely work on a good day. And he's like, I'm sick of your double talk. We have rights. And it's just, it's great. I love it. Uh, Petey's song is phenomenal. I added it to my playlist after I watched the film because I forgot how good it is. It's just a lot of fun. The the, the scatting and the, the banjo is just uh, it's so good. Bean losing his shit is just great. And because it shows you how crazy and unhinged he is, but it also shows you how mad Fox has driven him. He's driven him to the brink. I mean, he's literally trashing this trailer because he's so goddamn pissed. Fox taking over Badger's toast really showcases, I think, the major character flaw that he has, and that's his ego. Foxy is incredibly blinded by his arrogance and belief that he can always come out on top, and he thinks he always has to have command of the situation, command of the room. He's very arrogant and smug. Anderson does a great job of making the audience feel small, just like the animals in the human world, by the skill of the human sets. Now, what I mean by this is it's interesting to me that when the animals are in their world, everything is to their scale, right? So through a lot of the film, you're thinking, oh, cool, whatever. But whenever they're put in a human element, they're all of a sudden tiny, and the world is so big. And that's not just, oh, well, duh, because they're animals. It's purposefully meant. It's purposefully meant to have us be in their minds and really understand how small these animals feel compared to this human world and how big and large of a threat these humans are to them. I love the uh, the scene when Christopherson and Ash go to get um, Fox's tail and um, Ash says to Christopherson, you know, me personally, I don't uh, have a, a bandit mask, but I uh, modified this tube sock. And then Christopherson goes, do we look good? And then Ash goes, yeah, we look good. I love that. I still quote that to this day. It's just such an iconic line to me. Uh, The irony of Fox celebrating moments before losing once again, when he's giving his toast about, we beat them, we took this and that, and now we're eating their succulent turkey, their, 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 you know, delicious cider, and then right as he says that, you know, they, they lose once again. I think it's almost poetic. And I love how when Ash returns after Christopherson's been taken, despite it being a really serious situation, Anderson still works comedy into it uh, because, you know, Fox is like, well, you know, where's, where's your cousin? What, what happened? Why did you go there? And why are you wearing that fake bandit hat? It's just really good. The shot of Mr. Fox alone by the waterfall is just chef's kiss. It's just so goddamn beautiful if you'll excuse the language, it's so beautiful. Fox admitting he was wrong and recognizing his flaws is also beautiful. And that whole exchange between Fox and uh, Felicity, his wife, Meryl Streep's character, is just so great because he's, you know, he's admitting, he's like, I think I have this tendency to, to need to have people think I'm the best person in the room, and I don't know why that is. And she says, because you're a wild animal. And it's a callback to a previous line, and it's really great. I really also like, because at this point, he's sort of accepting defeat, and he's going to turn himself in because he thinks that's the only way he's going to save these animals. So he goes to his son, Ash, and he says, 
he's telling him the story of of when he first found out Ash was going to be born. And Ash already knows the story, so he keeps interrupting. And then he goes, you're stepping on my lines. And, and he tells a story or whatever. But it's just, it's really a very touching scene, I think, between a father and son. And because he ends it all, this whole time, Ash has sort of felt like this character who isn't, he feels like no one understands him. But Fox tells him, I'm so glad it was you that was born. And it's, oof, gives me goosebumps. The letter from the farmers is hilarious because uh, they, they write it out of cut out letters for magazines and Rat delivers it to the animals and the animals are like, well, why don't they write this with uh, letters cut out of magazines? And then Kylie's like, well, to protect their identities. Well, except we know it was sent by them and they also signed their names. Yeah, I don't know. Why did they do that? I love that Rat is always snapping. I really like that. It's a cool little character thing of his. Kind of reminds me of like a kind of West Side Story feel. But holy Jesus, the fox and rat fight is just so nicely done. The lighting, the music, it's just so brilliant. Rat's death is both touching and hilarious, you know, because in death, him and fox and rat have this understanding and they sort of make amends. And he tells him, you know, what were you, what were you looking for? And he just said, cider. And Fox scoops up this crap, but, you know, Rat won't know the difference because he's dying. And he tells him, here you go, Rat, some of Bean's finest secret cider. And, you know, Fox kind of gives this poetic thing about how he... He redeemed himself. Redemption? Sure. But in the end, he's just another dead rat in the garbage pail behind a Chinese restaurant. And it's just, <laughs> I don't know, it's so fucking, it's beautiful. Uh, Fox's toast, before his, his last toast before he, uh, before they do their master plan is so goddamn beautiful because he's sort of hyping up all these animals and telling them why they're the greatest people he's ever met or whatever, which sort of the Latin name scene really helps also hype you up and it showcases Fox's intelligence. The framing of the synchronize your clocks or your watches scene makes it feel like a, a heist movie which it sort of becomes at the end because they're all these animals are all in suits and it's kind of a low angle and uh, they're synchronizing their watches as they put on batted hats. It's just great. I fucking love the setup and cinematography of the Plan B scene. It makes it feel like an old spaghetti western with this old western kind of theme and the quietness of the town. We see the shots of the cobbler as he's banging on a, on a shoe and we just kind of continuously hear his hammering and then we see shots of of the town, how it's empty, and people are, gun, gunners are lined up, and and we have the, the news van and whatnot, and we kind of see that this whole town is empty just for this. Uh, and I also really like how they have a war room setting in the sewer. That's really great. I love that. Uh, I love the, uh, the attack by the animals is so chaotic, which is a great contrast to the previous scene of the setting it up like a Western. Uh, and you really feel the chaos with the framing and the of the scene and the pace and the music, it's all very high intensity and all really, really helps you dive into into this chaos. I love the getaway on the motorcycle framing. Uh, it's like this sort of low angle with the the buildings rushing past uh, Fox and Kylie, and it's just so high pace and just so aesthetically pleasing. I love it. Um, when they get to the um, the farm where uh, Christofferson is being held and they need to open the gate and uh, Fox is like, Kylie, can you, you have a credit card? And then he's like, yeah. And then he's like, see, Kylie, this is what I'm talking about. You're always so... And then he looks at the card and it's a titanium card. And he's like, titanium card? 
how the cuss are you qualified for this? And then Kylie's like, well, I pay my bills on time. I've always had good credit. It's just those, it's, see, it's those little moments. They're not played up for big laughs, but they're so damn funny. And I think Anderson is just so, I think he's just so phenomenal at this little, little small dialogue nailing his, whatever he intends it to nail. Uh, I think he's really good at this small, sort of small-scale comedy. I like how when Ash and uh, Kylie are trying to get Christopherson out, Kylie can't seem to lift the grate. And then Ash says, don't worry, I can fit through there. You want to know why? And then Kylie's like, why? Because I'm small. And just the way Ash is standing and is framed makes him look like a superhero, which is his whole thing. He dresses in a cape and... And he's trying to he's trying to be this uh, this idol of his, the white cape, which you might not notice, you might miss it. Uh, it's in his room; it's a poster. Uh, but here, it's like he's finally become this hero that he's wanted to be. And I, you know, like father, like son. I very much like how Ash also realizes his flaws and apologizes for his mistakes. The ending theme at the end. The ending theme at the end. Uh, it's phenomenal. It's the theme that sort of plays um, as uh, Fox is is, is confronting the uh, the farmers, and it's kind of like a. Your tractors uprooted my tree. Your posse hunted my family. Your gunmen kidnapped my nephew. Your rat insulted my wife, and you shot off my tail. I'm not leaving here without that necktie. I love how they cut closer and closer as Fox is confronting the farmers. It sort of adds this gravitas that I really love. And I really like the fact that there's a stunt ramp just lying around for them to make their escape. It's just perfect. Uh, I've always thought that there was a sort of poetic beauty to them seeing the wolf and uh, Foxy telling him he has a phobia of them. And sort of there's this understanding between the two. And, you know, he raises his fist and the, the fox or the wolf raises his fist with him. And then Fox, you know, just kind of gets over it, and he's like, what a what magnificent creatures, you know? And uh, it's great. I really love, again, I love that this is played uh, again for gags. I think we're both glowing scene when uh, his wife tells him that she's pregnant for the second time. Uh, Fox's final toast is phenomenal. They say all foxes are slightly allergic to linoleum, but it's cool to the paw. Try it. They say my tail needs to be dry cleaned twice a month, but now it's fully detachable, see? They say our tree may never grow back, but one day something will. Yes, these crackles are made of synthetic goose, and these giblets come from artificial squab, and even these apples look fake, but at least they've got stars on them. I guess my point is, we'll eat tonight. And we'll eat together, and even in this not particularly flattering light, you are without a doubt the five and a half most wonderful wild animals I've ever met in my life. So let's raise our boxes to our survival. It really is just so beautiful and so touching. Um, I love that Ash drinks grape because it sort of shows how different he is because everybody else is drink, drinking apple juice, but he's drinking grape juice. And I really love the ending song. It's uh, the song that I recommended earlier, Let Her Dance. It's really great. And I like how as, it, as this sort of, it pulls back out of the grocery store, we see that it's a bogus Bunsen bean grocery store. So in the end, they're still stealing from the farmers. And in the end, 
they truly did win. It's just a beautiful film with a much deeper meaning than what is on the surface. It's a cautionary tale like that of Icarus to not let our ego fly us too close to the sun, to accept our flaws and mistakes and try to be better, if not for us, than for the people around us. And with that, it's time to wrap the show up. If you like the show, please make sure to leave a five-star review, which you can do in-app. I'd really appreciate it, and it really helps the show. You can support the show by going to patreon.com slash captainslogcast and donate a dollar. Anything helps keep the lights on. I actually lost my car because I couldn't make the payments, and now I have to ride a pink Barbie bike to work that I may or may not have stolen from a little girl. So please, please help me. But no, in all seriousness, if you donate, it all goes towards improving the show, getting better recording equipment and whatnot. Right now, we're still recording in that sort of echoey room that I talked about last uh, episode because they still haven't gotten up the another recording room up, and they have the I don't know what they've done with the good microphone, so I'm still using my travel mic. Um, and and of course, any any money that you donate will also go to any other creative endeavors. Uh, for example, my short films. Uh, and of course, if you donate, not only will you receive access to early content, uh, but you will also get a shout out on the show as well as credit uh, on my uh, short films as a contributor. You can follow me uh, on Instagram at j.valle underscore and the show on Twitter at Captain's Log Pod, as well as subscribe on YouTube where you can find me as Jose Valle. I've just uploaded another version of my summer video, this one without the VHS filter, uh, to really help you, sh- to really help showcase the sort of uh, capabilities of my new camera and my cinematography skills. So go check that out. Uh, make sure to tell your friends and family about the show if you enjoy it, and make sure to write into captainslogcast at gmail.com with suggestions on episode topic, guests you'd like to have back on, or recommendations for check this out. Make sure to subscribe and download on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, and Google Play, and any other podcast directory. With that, everybody, we have reached the end of our show. Tune in next week at the same time and on the same frequency for another episode. I've been your Captain Jose Valle, and this has been Captain's Log. End of transmission.